Okay, today is May the 17th, 2011. Glory be girls are meeting tomorrow, is that right? Just a reminder. I mean, they are. It was in the bulletin. So, I just thought I'd remind everyone about that. I think it starts at 10.30. Okay, let's prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word. You all know our SOP, Moment of Silent Prayer, Rebound if Necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, our success, our endurance. Everything in this life depends on who and what you are. We thank you that you have provided everything for us in order to fulfill your plan. And we pray that you will help us to take advantage of this day because you give us one day at a time. This is the most important thing that we do is to learn your word and then apply your word. So we pray that you will help us to focus, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to close out chapter 2 tonight, I'm pretty sure. There's a lot <coughs> in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's start with verse 13, and we'll just read in the Bible up to verse 17. Verse 17 is where we ended last time. I didn't completely finish it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Which we should always give thanks to God for you, for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I still can't get over that verse yet. That God so loves us and is so full of the capacity to love that one of his purposes is that we may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the tradition which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter. We took some time looking at that word tradition and how it differs from the tradition that they have in religious ceremonies and liturgy and all these other things. Uh, this is You could just substitute the word doctrine there for tradition and it would work just fine. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Where we're going to start tonight, I'll put this up on the board. These are the last two verses we had with regards to comfort. Comfort and being comfortable are not the same thing. Hopefully you're comfortable. We have padded seats. We have air conditioning. We have all the comforts. But that's not the comfort that really matters, is it? 
The comfort that really matters is that which resides in your soul. You could be sitting on a rock somewhere and you could be not know where your next meal is coming from. There may be danger all around and yet you can have comfort in your soul. That's the kind of comfort that matters. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, plural, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as you are comforted by God in adverse circumstances, it enables you and enables me to go to those who are under duress, those who are suffering, and comfort them with the same comfort that we receive. And you cannot divorce the comfort that we're speaking of here from the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God, you don't have comfort, not in your soul. You may have the a luxury automobile and a fine home, but it is the comfort of the Word that really establishes you, gives you that contentment and composure so that you can pass it on to others. Then we have 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18. Then we who are alive, y'all remember this, right? This is the blessed hope. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him or with them in the air that would be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the Lord. You know that. This is talking about the rapture. Then, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. Things are going to get a lot worse. But they're also going to get a lot better. And that is what we are comforted with, the fact that they're going to get better. They're going to get better beyond our wildest imagination. The rapture is something that is unique, absolutely unique. Nothing like it has ever happened before. Can you imagine meeting those that you were so close to that's already gone on to be in their heavenly home? That in itself would be... <laughs> Tremendous, but in bodies that will never die again, not experience pain, not experience suffering. All the woes that we have here on earth are a thing of the past. I mean, it's, it, it would be great to meet those who've already died that we've loved, but to meet them under those circumstances? But the highlight is seeing Jesus Christ the one that we love from afar right now, to see him is going to be, I don't know how to put it in words. The Bible gives an indication of what it will be like and what he looks like. And I'm not just talking about how stunning he will be, absolutely phenomenal in his appearance. But it's like seeing someone that you've always known. Because we do know him. We know him through his word. It's not like we're meeting a stranger. But I think there's going to be a dimension to that that is unknown at this time. 
And so when we say comfort one another with these words, not even the horrible stench of death can break that comfort that we have knowing, having confidence that it's going to get much better. We don't have to wait for eternity to get that. We can have that comfort now. We're comforted through His Word. We're comforted through the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that can undo what God has done. He's given us permanent things. Nothing can undo these. These are part of our comfort. Now, and good hope. This is where we start our message this evening. I don't believe we've covered this yet. And you all probably already know that the word there for hope is elpis, E-L-P-I-S. It's a noun accused of singular feminine. It means hope, desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it, looking forward to something without a reason, uh, excuse me, with a reason for confidence, respecting fulfillment, it's confident expectation. How could we live without hope? I don't know how I would live without hope. Some people hope in something happening on the weekend that will kind of lift, lift them out of their drudgery. I used to work on construction jobs, and those guys never failed to amaze me. It was hard work. I used to work on high-rise buildings. When Shell 1 was built in Houston, Texas, I was working on the 45th floor. And as they were building it, they used to put what they call pans. It's metal panels that they lay on. on they put on um, scaffolding to hold it up. And they pour oil on it, and then they poured concrete in there. And that would be the floor. They put the iron in it and put concrete. At that time, the shell building was the largest concrete structure in the world. And in the summer, when, when there were, the, the heat was unbelievable, when it would radiate off the, uh, that tin, and <coughs> you were walking around and you were working, you could only stay out there for so long. You had to drink a lot of water. And the, the metal pans were so hot. I, I wore those high-top work boots. You've seen them before, and they have about a three-quarter inch to an inch thick sole. And you, if you were out there very long, your feet would start. You could feel the heat from those pans. It was, it was unbelievable. Anyway, I'm just trying to describe what the conditions were like then. Very dangerous. And their hope, what kept them going, was the weekend. They couldn't wait to get to the weekend and get drunk. And that party hardy, they would call it. And some of them would come back and, boy, they'd be bragging about how their weekend was. And they looked like something the cat drug in on a Monday. Bloodshot eyes. I mean, they would come out, they would come like, you know, one, the shirt, one shirt tail being out like this. Sometimes their, their buttons wouldn't be done right. And they would stagger onto the job site. And they were, boy, boy, we had a great blast. And they, oh, yeah. Most of them didn't even remember it because they passed out. Fornicating and drinking, that's all they would live for. And I thought, that is so shallow. And you have to pay the price. I mean, your liver does anyway. And the venereal disease, and uh, it, it was just, I never did get it. The reason I'm saying that is just think what we have forward to look, look to. 
And there's not a lot of people that have that. Because if you go to most people, even a lot of believers you can go and you can talk about the rapture and they think they have, they, they've heard that before somewhere but they really don't know the details about it. You can't have hope unless you have confidence in something that you know about. And that's why the Word of God is so important because it, in, it gives us information that otherwise we wouldn't know. In fact, no one would know. Who would know about the rapture? Jesus Christ returning was not revealed in the Word. And what would you have to rely on? I mean, if all we have to rely on is this vague notion of going to heaven, well, what is heaven about? I was talking with somebody just the other day about when I was in high school, heaven is sitting on a cloud playing a harp. But I didn't, I w that did not motivate me. I wasn't excited about that. And if there might have been a dozen teenage girls there, that were going to play harps with me, maybe that might get my interest, but that would be about it and food. <laughs> but I say this somewhat in jest, but we're talking about a hope that is so important that I don't know how uh, we could live, we could breathe, we could get by, but what would happen to our countenance? What would happen to our spirit if we thought this is all there is? So I'm just highlighting how important this elpis, this hope, this confidence is. The phrase good hope was used by non-Christian writers to refer to life after death. So even unbelievers had a notion about this good hope, that there was life after death. In the book of Job, this is a question that Job asked, is there life after death? And of course, a lot of people struggle with that today whether there's life after death. Isn't it nice to be past all that business? First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you know in that verse you can connect the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead we know that from 1 Corinthians 15 that He gives us the victory over death. That we don't have to carry around this burden, this stigma of being afraid to die because we don't know what's next. It's a living hope. It's a living hope because we will continue to live only in another location. A better location. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird your minds for action. You know what girding your minds are? When they used to say, gird, gird up your loins, they used to wear this cloth material around, and it was kind of a robe that would go down. If you really wanted to move out, if you want to pick them up and lay them down, you'd have to gird your loins first. You'd have to take that robe and pull it up around like this and tie it around you where your legs were free and you could get after it, see? Well, this is saying, gird your minds. In other words... Get ready to think. People can't, they don't think these days. They, the TV just about has done all their thinking for them, and they sit like zombies, and it kind of by the process of osmosis, there is information just kind of goes through their cells. And for people who can think independently, it's very rare these days. So it says, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. See, he's using physical terms like gird, normally gird up your minds and keep sober, don't get 
don't get drunk. These are physical things, but he's putting a, a, a spiritual connotation to them. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here we have another verse that is connecting our hope, our living hope, with the return of Jesus Christ, and we sometimes just call that the rapture. We should think about... Do you ever think about that? I think sometimes we are more prone to think about that when times are really bad and think about where it's going to get better than we do just on a normal course of the day. But we are to fix our hope completely on that grace. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, uh, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. We know that. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We don't know exactly what we're going to be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Isn't that enough? We're talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a resurrection body. We can go and see some of the things that He has done. We can recognize that it is so phenomenal, His resurrection body. So we don't know the details of what we're going to be. We haven't experienced anything like having a resurrection body before. But we can have confidence and we can have this hope that we are going to be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. Right now we see Him through the Word. We're going to literally feast our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns. We shall see Him just as He is, and everyone who has this hope, not everybody has it, but the ones who have this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. It's important that we recognize that Jesus Christ can come at any time. If we had to wait for three and a half years or seven years before Jesus Christ came this verse would not be in effect, would it? Knowing that He can come at any time is, has a purifying effect on our lives. If you thought, if you believed that Jesus Christ was going to come this month, what do we have, less than two weeks left? Would that make a difference in your life? Would you do anything any differently? And I've talked to believers about, no, I wouldn't. I'd just be my, my regular self. I said, yeah, right. When we concentrate on Him returning, what it does is focus our concentration and puts our priorities where they should be. And that's, what, that's, the, that's the intent. The fact that He can come back at any time means we need to be focusing on what's really important. We need to be growing. We need to be doing divine good. We need to be thinking divine viewpoint. We need to be applying doctrine. These are the things we need to be doing now because knowing that He could return at any time is a, has a purifying effect. So everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself. You purify yourself with the understanding that when Christ returns and He can return at any moment, that we want to be found as good and faithful servants, do we not? And if He's going to return maybe a thousand years from now, how can that have a purifying effect? Why should I worry? Why should I care? Why should I be concerned 
if there is a segment of time or certain things that have to happen before Jesus Christ returns. It wouldn't have the purifying effect. Again, I've given you three verses in a row that has to do with hope and the return of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that? 1 Peter 1.3, 1 Peter 1.13, 1 John 3, 2-3. Then we have Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18b through 19. That we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge in laying hold of the, of the hope set before us. You see I have that underlined? If I gave you an assignment, and I said, your assignment is before next Bible class, I want you to write a dissertation on what it means to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. How do you lay hold of a hope? Well, I can tell you how you don't do it. You don't do it by ignoring the fact that Jesus Christ said He's going to return, that He can return at any moment, and that you have a very, a very uh, crowded day calendar. And maybe you'll pencil in doctrine. Maybe you'll pencil in some thinking about Jesus Christ's return sometime next week. That's not taking hold of the hope, is it? Taking hold of the hope is taking in the Word of God, which gives you that encouragement apart from the Word of God and not just reading it uh, at, 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 at Bible class or church. I'm talking about thinking about these concepts is what helps you to take hold of that hope. The hope is there. I mean, the possibility of hope is there, but you have to take hold of it. And the way you take hold of it is to stick to your knit and take to continue to take in the Word over and over. Consistently, that's how you take hold of the hope. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. This hope is so important that is called the anchor of the soul. Endurance and hope are joined at the hip. You can't have one without the other. When hope is gone, so is endurance. You ever think of that? This is how it works for me. I don't know how it works for you. But when I don't have hope, then I can't see the purpose in the thing, and I, and I think to myself, well, why even... Why even continue? See, if you have hope, you can do what? Endure. You see the end game. And that helps you struggle through this life. We live in the devil's world. So that hope is connected to endurance. If you don't have hope, why, why endure? Would you work for someone that you had no hope of being paid? But what if you think there's a chance you might get paid? You might not even know for certain, but if there's a chance that you might be paid, you might continue to be motivated to work, right? But who, who would work for someone where there's no hope that you're going to get paid? I know some people like their job so much they do it for free, but I don't believe it. Hebrews 10:36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. In this case, it's not the resurrection body. 
What is, what is it that is the motivating force here? Somebody tell me. Yeah, it's de- decorations, rewards, privileges, opportunities. These are the things that motivate us. But this says you need endurance to be able to acquire these things. Tuesday evening, and here we are. Just another Tuesday in a ocean of Tuesdays that we've had Bible class. And here you are. I would say you're enduring. Hopefully you're enduring for the right purpose, and it is a legitimate reason to endure in order to receive rewards. I've had, I don't know how many times people have asked me that. Well, isn't that kind of self-serving or kind of selfish to think that we want to endure, we want to continue to be obedient, to grow in grace and knowledge? Isn't that, is that a legitimate reason to endure? And I say, yes, look at this verse. (laughs) It's like holding the carrot out there. Here it is. But you have to endure. How many people do you know that endure in, in anything? Most people are quitters. Most people, when it gets hard, or they be... How many times have you seen this? Somebody gets turned on to the Lord, and they are like a rocket. They just, they just can't get enough. And every time I see someone like that, I have a little bit of misgivings, because what does a rocket usually do? It burns out, doesn't it? And, and you can't maintain that hot fire because the, the Christian life is an endurance run. It's, it's just steady over and over, endurance. And when, a lot of people, they get all turned on, and once the emotions and once it gets down to the grind of everyday living and everyday learning and growing, that's not what they signed up for. They want the stimulation. Stimulation is fine. But it is the endurance. And if you endure, uh, in Matthew 24, he who endures to the end will be saved. Y'all have heard of that before probably. A lot of people say, what would, what would a person who believes that you can lose your salvation think? They think that's talking about eternal life. And of course it's not talking about that. Uh, the isagogical, categorical, and exegetical approach to scriptures especially the categories comparing Scripture with Scripture, would show you that that's not so. You have to endure to the end of your life in order to gain those rewards. How many, how many people in there can maintain anything for their entire lifetime? We have some sterling examples sitting in here in this very group of people who have endured and they have maintained over the long haul because we have at least two couples sitting in here that's been married over 50 years that is a rare thing not many people achieve that no not many people do it and this is what it's talking about if you're going to and look at the rewards though you know these couples They've lived with the same mate for over 50 years. You talk about being one. One person gets a little sniffle and the other one coughs. I mean, it's just... 
(laughs) Endure. Endurance always pays off. First of this year, how many people, I'm not talking about anybody here, I'm not talking about anybody here, I'm just saying as a principle, how many people said, I'm going to make New Year's resolutions and I'm going to quit eating so much? Well, (laughs) I've done gone to stop teaching and started preaching and stepping on toes. Well, we all have these good intentions, but how good is it if you don't endure? And the ultimate is what the Bible is telling us here. You can do some phenomenal things. And and God is pleased when we do divine good and we have self-sacrifice and we have sacrificial love when we do all these things. And that's great. But in His agenda, it's the endurance that matters. And what I'm telling you is, if you don't think that there's really these great rewards and decorations and crowns and privileges that are so phenomenal we can't even imagine them, if you, don't, if you think that's just fairy tales, you're not going to endure, are you? You see why hope and endurance go hand in hand? But if you really believe it, and I believe it, I believe that they exist, I strive to endure. I'm just so thankful for 1 John 1, 9. I'm so thankful that God is so merciful. Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You see those? Hope, persevering, and prayer. Do they go together? Absolutely. None of us can endure on our own, can we? I can make a pact with myself and say, I am no longer going to allow bluebell ice cream to touch my lips. I can, I can sign it, notarize it, put it in the vault. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not we don't endure on our own. The only way that we're able to endure is through whose strength? The Lord's strength, not our strength. We don't have the strength. None of us. We are weak, frail creatures that are prone to sin. Now, go to most churches, and they're not going to tell you that. But that's what the Bible says. The heart is desperately wicked, and yet God has all these things for us. I like to think rejoicing in hope. Does it lift your spirit to think that this old body that is gets older every day, is going to be renewed. It's going to be completely, get a new, a new model. Do you rejoice in that? This ought to resonate with this crowd because we're not a bunch of spring chickens in here. Huh? I would never say that to teenage, teenagers because they don't think they're ever going to die. They think they're always going to look, you know, tight and pretty skin and all the rest. Persevering in tribulation devoted to prayer. So what I'm saying is you have hope, persevering, and prayer. Those are the three things that you can't, none of these things can stand. You can't have hope. You can't persevere without prayer. You can't have hope. Well, let me put it this way. You can't persevere. You can't endure without hope. And you can't have hope without prayer because it's a relationship. And we're going to get more into prayer if I just press on. In chapter 3. 
How can anyone persevere in tribulation without hope? The everyday grind of life will erode hope if it is not built up and strengthened daily by the Word of God. And you know it. Just the daily grind will... Whatever hope, whatever there is in you that is looking forward to something, the world can just... Just the average day can just grind you down. Isn't that true? Psalm 42, verse 10, 11. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? Now this is responding. This is David. He's responding to this. He's saying, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed with me? Hope is in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my continent, uh, uh, continent and my God. See, they're saying, here you have David, and they are challenging him. Look at this. Doesn't David have a word, way with words? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? That, you know, David, would that bring you down? I mean, David had people within his own administration. His friends would turn their back on him. And he had enemies everywhere. The Philistines were his enemies. Saul was his enemies. There were spies. There were people all over the place that were his enemies. And it, that would tend to get a person down, would it not? But he's asking himself, why are you in despair? He's talking to himself, oh, my soul. Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. He's telling himself, that's where your hope is. There's no reason for despair. For I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. When your countenance falls, you only have that hope in God. Psalm 119.25, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me, what? According to your word. See, we're talking about people who have been melancholy, people who have been uh, in despair. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Psalm 119, 49, 50. By the way, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 118 is the middle of the Bible. And Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Just thought I'd say that. 119, verse 49 and 50. Remember the word to thy servant in which thou hast made me hope. This is my comfort in affliction that thy word has revived me. What were we talking about a while ago about hope being revived? What is it each time? It's his word. It's his word. Some, uh, excuse me, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. Everything that we're reading, these people experienced it. The colonel at, at Baraka Church used to say, you can learn and live or you can live and learn. What we want to do is learn how to live and not have to 
live and learn the hard way. We don't want to go through the school of hard knocks, do you? Any of y'all been to that school? Anybody enrolled in that? Huh? They don't call it hard knocks for nothing. It's much easier to learn from the people who have gone before us. That's why God gave us the book. These people experienced it. God has revealed it to us. And that's what this is saying. Whatever was written earlier times was written for our instruction. They're already dead and gone. Their chance is past. But it's recorded for us so that we don't have to make the same mistakes they did. We can learn from, from their lives. So that through perseverance, see there you have perseverance, endurance, same thing, and in, in the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. It is the encouragement from the Scriptures. It's these promises. It's thinking about Jesus Christ returning, seeing all your loved ones, no more death, no more sorrow. All these things are what lift us up. And you choose, and I choose, whether we want to remain in our soul, wallowing in the mire, being dis depressed, discouraged. At any time, we can start thinking, doctrinal, viewpoint, remember what we've learned, and that Word will lift us right up out of all that silliness. That's how we, win. That's how we endure Ignorance and hopelessness go together. Remember, we saw that endurance and hope go together. They're connected at the hip. Well, ignorance and hopelessness go together. And that's where many people find themselves today. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. In other words, he's saying, we don't want you all to be stupid about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as... The rest who have no what? Hope. Have you ever been to a funeral before where there's wailing and... Ooh. I went, I went to one in a Baptist church one time. I couldn't believe it. it was a Baptist church. And they just had to shut down a while and let everybody finish wailing and screaming and... Oh, horrible. And I'm thinking, what's wrong here? Well, what's wrong is the people didn't have any hope. They weren't enduring. They weren't comforted by the Word. And they were just, wow, it was, it was bad. So, <clears throat> but they were uninformed. They ha either they had not been taught, which is probably the case, or they didn't pay attention. And because of it, they had no hope. And then we have these last two little words at the end here. Verse 16. By grace. Grace is charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. It's a noun accused of singular feminine. It means unmerited favor. A favor done without expectation of return. The absolute free expression of loving kindness of God to men. Finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. That's what charis means. And so all this that we're talking about is by grace. These two little words keep us in touch with reality, we do not deserve blessing, nor can we ever do anything that would deserve a bless the blessing and kindness from God. We can never demand such things from Him when condemnation and wrath are all we deserve for Him. If we got what we deserved, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little smudge spot on the dirt or concrete or something, that a little greasy spot that stinketh. That's what I would be. David, I'd, I'd love 
If, if you're ever down, if nothing else, just read the Psalms of David. Not only David, but there were other writers. But why they just lift you up. David said he was in awe that God was mindful of him, that he even thought about him, that he even knew about him. And look at what depths God goes to. Remember the other day I was talking about how awesome it is that we are, we are uh, adopted into his family forever to live with him? Wouldn't you think twice before you adopted somebody into your family and it was for good and they were going to live in your house? God did that for us. Grace can be defined as receiving God's blessing and love which we do not deserve, while God's mercy can be defined as not receiving what we do deserve. Now, I want you all to write that down and think about it. Look at it. Because I've always heard, what is mercy? Well, mercy is grace in action. Well, that's true, but this is better. I'll say it again. Grace can be defined as receiving God's blessing and love, which we do not deserve. We don't deserve God's grace and blessing. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve rewards and decorations. We don't deserve anything. It all comes from His grace. While mercy can be defined as not receiving what we do deserve. It's the other side of the coin. And I don't know about you, but I need both. I want to get what I don't deserve. And I don't want to get what I do deserve. So when you see these two words, that's the distinction. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. <laughs> I thought that was pretty neat. I didn't come up with it. I don't remember where I got it, but I... I, I think it's neat. Okay, verse 17. I don't know. We're, we're running out of time. Verse 17. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Comfort is our old friend. Do you all remember this word? How many times we had? Parakaleo. Para means beside. Kaleo means to call. This is an aorist active optative. We don't have many optative moods, but we have one here. In verse 16... We had the noun form of the word, which is paraklesis. But here we have the verb form, which is parakaleo. In this instance, the word means to instill someone with courage, to cheer, to comfort, encourage, or to cheer up. Psalm 119, 76, 119, verse 76. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. Comfort comes from where? The word. The word. The word. Yes. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm glad you said The optative mood is a, a mood of desire. It's of hope. It, 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 is, it is his, it's an expression of saying that he hopes that you will be uh, comforted. And then we have the uh, and strengthened. And you've seen this word before and you can identify it. Sterizo. S-T-E-R-I-Z-O. It's a verb. And it's also the aorist active optative. It's where we get steroids. We, we, 
see these bodybuilders and all, they're all pumped up and they take steroids that makes you stronger and so forth. Well, it comes from this Greek word. It means to make steadfast in mind, confirm, or strengthen. It was Paul's desire or wish that God would comfort and strengthen the Thessalonian believers. Remember how they were shaken from their composure and disturbed because of the false doctrine and lies that were being circulated in, in verse 2? Remember they had a false letter and they thought that they were... They missed the rapture and the, the day of the Lord had begun and the, they were just freaking out. And they needed to be stabilized. They needed to be strong in their soul. And so this is what the Word does for them. Paul could not know with certainty that they would receive comfort and strength. Why not? Because such was a potential involving their volitional attitude towards the Word of God and towards Paul. That's why they're in the optative mood and not in the indicative mood. It was only a potential. But the difference between the subjunctive mood, which is a potential, and the optative mood, which is also a potential, is that in the optative mood there's a great desire added to it. It was his great desire that they would be uh, strengthened and that they would uh, be comforted In your hearts. The heart is the cardia. Here we have the noun, accusative, plural, feminine. The heart is the feminine noun. It's the dominant portion of the soul, the seat of the intellect, which includes our norms and standards. True strength resides in the heart, not the body. I'll take a person with a big heart any day over some big, strong, muscular guy. And I'm even talking about in, in, um, in sports. You know, when they have the draft and they, they go and they pick all the people that they're going to have to play on their teams and so forth, it's the biggest, the strongest, and the fastest, and they want all that. Well, that's all fine and dandy. But give me the guy that has a, a heart, that has a drive, that has that burning desire inside of him. Those are the people that will, you know what they do? They endure. So we, in your hearts, it says what we, what we have here is that you'll be comforted and strengthened in your hearts in every good work. Of course, we do not understand this in the general sense of good work that is done, but specifically as divine good accomplished in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have to go into difference, do I? Between just the general idea of doing good and divine good. You all know that. Thank goodness I don't have to get into that. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay, but... I'm, I'm talking to an audience here that I can just say something, divine good, you've got it. I don't have to talk about any, any further. Somebody's on the Internet saying, yeah, but what about us? <laughs> Go to, to the website, if you're already on the website, and look up divine good. There is a search engine on our Internet site that you can just type in divine good and it will show you everywhere on that website where divine good is. And there are visuals for the difference between divine good and human good. The last word here, we're gonna, <laughs> this is pretty neat. We're going to have the last word. The last word is and word. So be strengthened in, in your hearts in every good work and word. We are given two areas affected by the condition of our heart. What we do, the good work, and what we say. Or certainly influenced by the condition of our heart when it is 
an unsettled and weakened condition spiritually. So we have to watch what we do with regards to work. When we work, when we do good, we want to make sure it it counts, it's divine good. We have the right motivation. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And by what we say, if our thinking is off track, if our thinking is off track, our behavior and our words will be off track as well. You agree with that? It all starts with your thinking. If your thinking is off, then what you do and what you say are going to be off as well. So we have to have our thinking right first. Paul wanted them to be free of anxiety, believing that God would keep them through the trials and suffering, sufferings and would, be able, uh, and would enable them to produce divine good and would persevere, uh, well, excuse me, preserve them till the day of Christ's return. That was the purpose in all this. They were freaking out because they thought he had already returned, and he said, no, he, hadn't returned. he, he had not yet returned. Earlier in this chapter, he covered all that. He wants them to have comfort so that they would endure till the end and that he would preserve them in every good work and every good word till the day of his return. That closes chapter 2. We'll start chapter 3 next time. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to study Second Thessalonians chapter 2. There is so much there. We can go back and reread and reread, study our notes. But we pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to concentrate on these things, that we will meditate upon them so that we can utilize them because we, like the Thessalonian believers, need endurance. And endurance is connected to the hip to hope. And we can't have hope apart from enduring in your word and letting it do a mighty work in our lives. So we thank you for all this and pray that you will help us to apply it. For we pray it in Christ's name.